Hello, what's your point? You know, I would be remiss if I didn't mention, Garnett, the important role that you're playing on WPKN in not simply independent journalism but making sure voices get out. The reality is that as we talk about social media and criticism and hashtags, conversation, like deep dialogue about these issues is really what we're going to need if we're going to ever get to that point of reimagination. So I just wanted to, to thank you. You know, we've got a list for the revolution, um, and that revolution really is going to uh, have to be one that allows us to, to conquer these inequalities and move forward as, as, a, as a nation as a whole, but also as a community united. Okay, thank you so much. Welcome to What's Your Point with me, Garnet Ankle, here on WPKN Radio. My thought for today goes as follows. The ultimate measure of a man is not where he stands in moments of comfort and convenience, but where he stands at times of challenge and controversy. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., on the show today is a frequent guest, Dr. Scott McLean, Chair of the Philosophy and Political Science Department at Quinnipiac University here in Connecticut. Professor McLean, welcome to the show. Hello, Garnet. It's a pleasure to be here with you. Okay, thank you so much. How are you managing with the COVID-19 pandemic? I'm doing well. I just got a COVID test and I'm feeling fine and everything's good. How about you? Yes, I'm keeping myself you know, far away from people as much as I can when I have to go to places that I put my mask on. But I'm trying my best to um, not uh, contract this um, terrible virus. And uh, thanks for asking. So um, are students at attending classes at Quinnipiac University or are they learning from home? Uh, Quinnipiac has uh, shifted from... Uh uh, orange alert back to yellow, so they are attending classes, but today is the last day of class before Thanksgiving break, so it wasn't back in class very long. So after Thanksgiving break, the students are expected, unless things change there, uh, to be in class, in the buildings. Well, at, uh, at Quinnipiac University, the, the goal was to get them to Thanksgiving break, and they would be online for the remainder of the semester. And uh, then we wait and see what happens in January, if they would come back to uh, on-ground instruction or stay online. Okay. Yes. Uh, okay, let's see what happens. Because the, the, the pandemic is ravaging the nation. We have over 253,000 people who have died since uh, January, February, thereabout in this nation. And we see the outgoing uh, federal government is doing nothing about it. Uh, what are your thoughts about the way the federal government is going about uh, this pandemic as if they care not about what's happening to people? Uh, well, this is already a disaster, and now we're teetering on the precipice of absolute 
cataclysm because uh, right now we've got Vice President Pence, who is the head of the Coronavirus Task Force, who hasn't really been seen for two and a half weeks after the election. Uh, there's not much really being done other than finding out about some promising um, vaccines that may come out later in 2021 and available to us. But the most disturbing thing is that President Trump is spending more time tweeting about the election that he lost than actually doing anything about the coronavirus. And in the meantime, we have many state governors, both Republican and Democrat, uh, starting to realize that they have to take charge of this. So many states, uh, such as the uh, state of North Dakota, where you had a complete 180 turnabout from the governor basically in North Dakota dismissing it, to now imploring his citizens to, to wear masks and social distance. Um, a, lot, a lot of people who, who uh, you know, didn't take coronavirus seriously in many of these states are now finding that reality is a hard teacher. Is this a political situation where they're using science and they're using the, the virus as a political football in that people who are Democrats tend to wear masks and people who are Republicans call it a hoax? Is, is as this turned into a political football led by the guy in the White House? Yeah, I can't imagine that uh, that we would have that kind of phenomenon, Garnett, if President Trump had taken this uh, coronavirus seriously from the start. Uh, if he hadn't dismissed the idea of masks, if he hadn't called it a hoax, or something that's fake, that's concocted by the Democrats, if he hadn't done those things and politicized it in a partisan way, uh, we would probably be in a much better position right now. Um, I think, though, that, you know, we're about to have a new administration, and uh, we have governors uh, of both parties that are starting to take this more seriously, and so I can only be hopeful and optimistic that things will be better. Um, you mentioned, Garnett, the, the uh, partisan divisions over just mask wearing. Uh, there's also partisan divisions about vaccines. So just in the same way that Republicans uh, tend to discount wearing of masks, we have a lot of high numbers of Democrats saying that uh, if the vaccine became available, they wouldn't take it. Because so they're afraid that President Trump, Trump rushed it through the approval process and it wouldn't be safe. So... President, or President-elect Biden, soon to be President Biden, will have to really reassure people that this vaccine uh, is safe and effective. And he's also going to have to convince, especially Republican governors, that wearing masks is safe and effective. Uh, so these things are, are uh, really have to go hand in hand. But can you blame people, whether Republicans or Democrats, can you blame them for behaving that way? When we have a president who says up is down, down is up, left is right and right is left, and lies over, what, 25,000 times, would you believe anything he says? 
Well, you have to believe the scientists. Uh, you don't have to believe Trump. Um, and we'd have to look at the, uh, we'd have to definitely have, you know, the procedures of testing these vaccines. Uh, where just because they have some promising signs right now doesn't mean that um, they're ready to go yet. So still some uh, testing to be done on those, make sure they work, make sure they're safe and effective. Uh, we have scientists who actually use science to find that out and determine that. But I think it does make a big difference when you have um, uh, leadership in the White House who can rally people and hopefully get both political parties moving together in the same direction on this. Right up until now, we just haven't had that. We've had, uh, you know, President Trump undercutting his own scientists, uh, his own advisors uh, directly contradicting him. Um, he says something on Twitter and then reverses himself the next day. I think that a lot will change when we have a different person uh, who is setting the agenda. But I'm, I'm not... Uh, I'm not so naive as to believe that uh, this is all going to change overnight the day after January 20th when Biden is sworn in as president. I hope uh, Biden will not use a Twitter and uh, come before the country or give statements instead of the Twitter because I think the Twitter thing is not a good way of governing a country or sending out statements. Your thoughts? Well, it's just the, the contrast. I mean, uh, the the, con the press conferences and and uh, public uh, speeches that that Biden has given since being elected, uh, he has done everything he possibly can to not get excited, not to be accusatory. Uh, to simply listen to scientists, to listen to all different kinds of people from all parties. And he's just going to have to do a lot of that, and it will take time. It will not change overnight. It will be a very rocky road. Um, and a lot of it depends on uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who we've talked about before, Garnett, um, whether he will uh, accommodate at all anything that... Uh, than the new president, Joe Biden, would want to do. Uh, but I, I do feel that uh, if there's one area where there can be uh, relatively quick progress and, and the building of some kind of consensus, it's on, it's on coronavirus response. Let's uh, hope so. The, 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 the voters in Kentucky and voters in Alabama and voters in uh, Texas are dying just like people who are voters in Connecticut, Massachusetts, California. Indeed. And at the same time, do we have to pause for a while because we still have two outstanding states for the runoff on the 5th of January. So it can go either way. Those two, those two um, Senate uh, candidates inside uh, Georgia. So in Georgia, you mean the runoff? Yes. So, yeah. so it may, it can go either way because you see Biden for the first time in a long time, a Democrat won that state. So anything can go, anything can happen in, yeah. in January. So then it will be minority leader McConnell. It, it could go that 
way, Garnett. Um, you know, that it's, it's unlikely uh, that both of those Democratic Senate candidates would win the runoff in Georgia. Possible, but not something I would want to bet on. But here's the reality. It really doesn't matter that much if the Democrats have uh, a majority leader versus the Republicans. Um, the difference between controlling the Senate is, is really three votes. Um, and there are at least three Republicans who are willing to switch their votes to Democrats on many issues. Um, uh, Mitch McConnell, as the Senate Majority Leader, it does control the floor of the Senate, but doesn't it doesn't completely control the agenda the way, say, the Speaker of the House is able to do in the House of Representatives. So, um, and actually, history shows that uh, divided government is not that much more ineffective than unified government. We've had. Uh, you know, you look back in history at times when the president and both houses of Congress were of the same political party, um, and you compare the policy output and the, the, the pace of change uh, to times when the president and the Congress were in different political parties, and it's really not a significant difference. Um, what it really makes a difference, though, on, if there is a, a big difference, I think, is on... Uh, you know, confirmation of the president's cabinet and uh, major agency directors uh, that would have to go through the Senate. Um, that that might be the one area where there could be a logjam. But for other things that are really important matters facing the country, like coronavirus, uh, like global warning, warming, uh, the president has independent powers, and this, there are enough senators who would be willing to uh, work with compromise that, that it wouldn't have total good luck. But we should recall that the last two years of Obama's first term and the entire uh, second term, it was... It was blocked. Uh, remember, McConnell said he wanted to make Obama a one-term president, and they decided before inauguration that they are going to say no to everything he says or does, and even if they were in agreement with it, once he's in agreement with it, they're going to say no. And so they tried their best to destroy the country. I think they were destroying uh, this pre that president. You remember those days? Yeah, um, but we've got to remember that... Uh, you know, what Obama had come into office really pushing for is major health care reform. And that is a very, very controversial thing, very much likely to generate partisan heat and conflict. Um, but we have to remember that the one area that uh, Obama dealt with first was economic stimulus which is also what Biden is dealing with. And um, Obama had to settle for less of a stimulus than he really wanted, but he got it. And I think the, you're likely to see Biden uh, have the same situation. He will not be able to get exactly what the Democrats in the House want for an economic stimulus pandemic relief bill. Uh He's going to find something between what the Republicans in the Senate want and what the House Democrats want. 
And most likely you will make no one completely happy, but we'll at least have a stimulus. Right now we've got nothing. And people are losing their jobs, facing insurmountable health care costs. Um, the rent is coming due and people are being uh, going to be evicted. Uh, we're facing a uh, hard winter for the homeless population um, all across the country with, with no clear idea that there's going to be a relief. I'm speaking with Professor Scott McLean, Chair of the Philosophy and Political Science Department at Quinnipiac University. Professor McLean is also a professor of political science at Quinnipiac. My name is Garnet Ankle. And uh, history was made when uh, uh, Harris became president-elect, the first woman, and indeed the first black woman, to be become president-elect and indeed to become vice president. And uh, what are your thoughts on the election in Biden-Harris getting over 300 electoral college votes? Vice President, we're going to have the first African American, the first Asian American. Uh, as as our Vice President, I mean, I think a first uh, first generation immigrant to be uh, a President, Vice President. So I mean, that is that is cause for celebration. I think that's uh, great, and the fact that uh, she. Uh, has, you know, uh, conducted herself well uh, throughout the campaign and, and after the campaign is is highly commendable. Um, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, the, the thing that everyone is talking about, of course, though, is this is an election like no other that I can find in history, uh, at least since the Civil War, where uh, the the candidate, the incumbent, the incumbent president from the other party, has not accepted the election results, has not accepted them as legitimate, has continued to uh, claim that um, there was fraud and that he was robbed, um, without any evidence produced in a court of law of any of it by the way, but uh, I think what's, the big question for me is uh, how long he will persist in this idea that uh, he really won the election and how many people will actually believe it and how long will they believe it. Uh, of course, on January 20th, he has to uh, vacate the White House. Um, and hopefully there will be a way that uh, he can be made to do that. But I suspect that uh, Trump will continue to claim that he really won the election um, for years to come. And uh, the big question is whether people will listen to him. Um, I think that will be an additional difficulty in governing uh, under the Biden administration coming in. Um, and it's really a problem like no other president has ever faced. Uh, I, I don't want to say I, I told you so, but you recall in a previous uh, conversation on this very show, you and I were speaking and I, and, uh, I said, what if 
the incumbent racist guy in the White House now decides that he doesn't want to go. You said, well, the Republicans will tell him to go. And I said to you, no, they want power too. And we see they're doing nothing. When they have the chance to remove him in uh, after the trial in the Senate, they did nothing. So we're seeing the same yeah. thing today. They're not getting up in droves and say, listen, Mr. President, you have lost. Make way for Biden. They're doing nothing like that. They're, they're, they're just as bad as he is. Your thoughts? Well, I, I, I would uh, respectfully disagree with you, Garnett. Um, every day, a couple more Republicans come forward to say, gradually, carefully, uh, that Biden won the election and that the claims of fraud by the Trump campaign have no basis in fact or law. Um, ben Sass being one just yesterday. Um, but every day, another Republican senator or governor speaks of Joe Biden as the president-elect. <laughs> so to, to say that they've done absolutely nothing, it, it's just not accurate. Okay. Well, uh, we can certainly say that they could do more. They could go, all come out and say, you know, Mr. President, you lost and we're not going to continue this. But that, that's going to take some time. We still have, um, uh, let's see, Monday, um, we're going to uh, have results certified in additional states. And then on December 5th, uh, we're going to have all, all uh, court disputes have to be settled. Yes, you're correct. Um, and then that's and that's going to be pretty much it as far as the procedures. There's still going to be this kind of cultural war uh, over Twitter and um, and, and oh, you know various um, social networks that Trump and his supporters will keep playing for a long time. Um, but but the but the formal part of the process where Trump could claim this is going to come to an end in about a week and a half, two weeks. You're correct. Yes, Aaron, my path. Yes, a few have come out. A few of the Republican senators or or Republican uh, politicians have come out. But what I would have liked to see was at the beginning, beginning, just soon after Biden was, Biden, Harris were, were projected winners. They should have come out and said something yeah. immediately. So people, you know, they drip, drip, drip. What is this drip, drip, drip? Up? They need to come out forcefully and tell this guy it is time for him to 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 to, to do something to to help uh, with this process. Because while they're doing yeah. this, people are dying. There's nothing going yeah. on where the pandemic is concerned. They're not overseeing the pandemic. They're doing nothing. Biden wants information, he's getting nothing. Uh, and the General Services Administration administrator, whom Neymar won't call, she's doing nothing in signing over the documents so he can get all he needs to start staffing up and, and, and shadowing the current people in the various departments. So we're just at a standstill. Yeah, I think uh, you're, you're, you're right about that, Garnett. Um, we've We've moved from uh, the amusing and bizarre spectacle of uh, Rudy Giuliani, the, the president's lawyer, holding a press conference in front of the Four Seasons um, landscaping company instead of the Four Seasons Hotel uh, with a crematorium 
in a sex shop nearby, uh, which was amusing. Um, now it's getting to the level of bizarre with the president actually trying to get um, uh, state legislators to come to the White House so he can persuade them to um, uh, overturn the majority of voters in their state and give him the electors of their state. And now it's just downright dangerous. So I uh, totally agree with you that we have reached uh, the beginning of the danger stage. And I think that uh, while while, uh, you and I could probably say that Republicans uh, haven't come out forcefully enough to declare that Biden is the winner, uh, not that many have, um, but I do see signs uh, that, that they're taking steps that way. So, for example, if you look at Senator Ben Sass from Nebraska, who um, essentially said uh, that there's he's looked he's looked at the court proceedings and t- that we should disregard what Trump and Giuliani say in public and just look at what they say in court. Um, and in court, they are not claiming that this election was a fraud. Um, it's not clear what they're claiming, but they, the cases of fraud that they are claiming um, lack any evidence. They're being thrown out of court. Um, uh, they maybe have passed one uh, court hurdle that was early in the process, and every single court that has looked at these claims by the Trump campaign uh, have just dismissed them um, as, as being without merit or basis. So we've got to go through this process. Um, it's, it's going to really depend on our independent court system and our judiciary to simply do their job and look at the evidence. And if there's no evidence, and there isn't, uh, we haven't seen any yet, then uh, the, the uh, Electoral College, the, the states will certify their vote. They will pick their electors. As, as required by the law, and these electors will vote in the Electoral College, and um, in January, we'll have a new president. So the guy in the White House is subverting democracy. He's subverting uh, the will yeah. of the people. This is, this is uh, why I say it's an unprecedented thing. Um, I, aside from perhaps the Civil War, uh, when the South seceded from the Union after Lincoln won the election, uh, I cannot think of a, another example where uh, the losing presidential candidate uh, re- refused to concede, and not only refused to concede, but has openly uh, called for the overturning of the election. And and that the electoral college should just vote for him. Um, if if it wasn't so sad and, and dangerous, it would just be laughable. Yes, but that's where we are right now as a country. He's undemocratic. He doesn't care about democracy. He cares about himself. So, what are your opinions of the situation with the general services administrator not signing over to the incoming administration? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's it's not a good thing uh, that the GAO 
is not signing the papers to begin the transition. But that isn't as if uh, Biden is without recourse. Um, and, and I think, you know, we should take our cues from Joe Biden himself. I mean, he has looked at this and said, okay, this is not, this is not good, but it's not dangerous yet. Um, Biden is doing his best not to play Trump's game and take it to an extreme hyperbolic, uh, level of hysterics. He's just saying this is not good and it doesn't reflect well on president Trump's place in history or the Republicans place in history or the next election, because people will remember this, um, They'll remember those people who uh, might have been saved if, if something had, uh, different had happened. But, it, you know, it, Biden has the ability to continue the transition without having 100% access to the GAO. Um, it, we haven't gotten to the most dangerous point yet. But he's getting a bit impatient now because uh, today he was talking about you know, time is running out, you know, two weeks have passed. You need to get the information. You need to, to understand what's happening. Yeah. And, um, you know, that is going to set back the, in his administration later on down the road, you know, because um, this guy is constant, constantly saying he is the winner. But at the same time, Biden wants to unite the nation, but not conceding and and kept saying he is the winner, this, in, this current president. What he's doing there is making Biden's job harder to unite the nation because we disregard those 72 million people who voted for the incumbent at our peril. We need to find out why they voted for him. And after so many things, why, what is the reason for this? And, and to get to unite the country, your thoughts? Yeah, and it, um, it, it was an extremely difficult challenge for a, a new president, any new president, to come into office uh, under the, this terrible public health crisis and then to have uh, the outgoing administration uh, not only not cooperate, but actually try to impede and to overturn the election Um you know, we look back in history at Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who won uh, his election in a landslide. Herbert Hoover certainly was not happy uh, and didn't do really much to help Roosevelt make the transition. And uh, in case uh, your listeners don't know it, back then, uh, Inauguration Day was in March. Indeed. Indeed. So we had from November until March with a uh, lame duck president during an economic crisis uh, and, not, and not really assisting the incoming administration. But I think Biden's got an even worse situation. Um, he's got the worst pandemic since 1918, worst public health, health crisis since 1918 with the flu epidemic. He's got an economy that's in tatters and is about to collapse. We have a healthcare system that's about to be overloaded with um, a huge wave of, of cases, all of which was predicted by our, our health officials months ago. And he's got 
um, the, the former president, soon to be former president, who, who will be running around in the country saying as much as possible, maybe even holding alternative rallies, uh, saying that he's really still the president and that uh, the election was stolen. This is a really bad situation. I'm speaking with Professor Scott McLean, Chair of the Philosophy and Political Science Department at Quinnipiac University. Professor McLean is also a Professor of Political Science at Quinnipiac University. I am Garnet Ankle. Yes, so it's, it's, uh, it's reached crisis situation now. And um, what do you think should happen later on after the 20th of January? Should there be a, an independent bipartisan body with subpoena and arrest and prosecution powers to investigate this moment in time, investigate the guy in the White House with the intention of lock him up if there are seem things yeah. seem to be problematic because he's subverting the election and, and this is something that dictators do in democratic nations. Your thoughts? Yeah, um Thank you. I, I think that uh, one of the ideas uh, of, of the American system is that uh, a concession from the outgoing president is not required. Indeed. So one thing we have to remember is that uh, the U.S. system operates better when, when the uh, losing candidate concedes the election and peacefully allows a transfer of power, but it's not required in the Constitution. It's not required in the system. It's just required that he vacates the White House on January 20th. Um, so, uh, you know, to, to do the things Trump is doing is not, uh, as far as I'm aware, is not illegal. It's very bad, but it's not illegal. I think there's probably more to be uh, seen with Trump um, in investigations for uh, misconduct while in office. So some of, some of the use of uh, Trump properties uh, at taxpayer expense, um, some of the issues that have to do with Trump's taxes, which are in New York State, um, and, and, and because it's a state uh, question, it's really not something that Trump could be pardoned for by Biden or anyone else. Um, uh, so, there, I mean, I think that uh, it's very possible that life will be very difficult for ex-former President Trump. Um, it's, it's, there's, there's no... Uh, there's no assurance that he will go to jail, like you suggest, or anything like that. But his life will be difficult. He will be spending a lot of time on lawyer uh, court and a lot of his money uh, on lawyers. And he's and he knows this. This is why he is currently fundraising. He um, is his Trump's defense fund. Um, he's going to be using. He's trying to get his supporters to give him a lot of money. Uh, to defend himself against uh, the, the, the things that are going to come up uh, in the next couple of years. 
should be a couple of months. And I, I believe the people around him too should be investigated. The Attorney General should be investigated and so forth. Because uh, And what I should have said too is that in addition to what he's doing now to subvert the uh, democracy, uh, in addition to that, I also should have said things that he did in office, as you did say a while ago, about um, things he's doing with emolument clause and that kind of thing. And I think, too, that they should uh, seize his passport and the passport of his family and all of that. It may sound like a joke now, but who knows? These people may want to run away to, to, to Russia. Well, I think, you know, the, the, the thing that I admire about uh, Joe Biden on his response to some of these kinds of, of issues lately is that he said it's, it's not going to be about the president going after the, the you know, the defeated opposition candidate. And he wants it to be, you know, very routine. And if there are things to be investigated, he won't interfere one way or the other. He's not going to encourage an investigation or push for it, and he's not going to impede it or stop it. It's just going to let things take their course according to normal procedures. And I, I say normal procedures is, is because what's really uh, the challenge in U.S. government right now is the restoration of norms and normalcy. So you mentioned, for example, the Attorney General. Um, we have an Attorney General that was extraordinarily not normal in uh, to the extent to which he behaved as the President's personal attorney. Um, and, uh, and taking a much more of a partisan stance. But, uh, you know, one of the things that has to happen is a new attorney general who won't do those things, and hopefully that will start to heal and create uh, a, a, a renewed sense of following the norms. Um, Biden is another example. Um, you can just see, in contrast to uh, Trump's press conferences, how Biden is doing his very, very best in succeeding at behaving like a normal president should behave, despite all of these roadblocks and obstacles um, that Trump is throwing his way. And he's not taking the bait. He's not engaging in these kinds of hyperbolic, um, panicky kinds of pronouncements. He's just being calm and uh, reassuring and saying that we'll get through this. But, uh, and, and on down the line, all, all the administration and uh, members of Congress, they're getting back to something like normal government. Now, whether he can do that with uh, 40% or more of the population accepting President Trump's claims that the election was stolen and rigged, uh, that would be hard. But it has to start somewhere, and I think that Biden has decided it will start with him. Yes, indeed, and I and I am in agreement that the incoming president, when he becomes president, should not be leading any such investigation. It should be up to an independent attorney general in his cabinet who should do that. Who should come up with a, a bipartisan uh, commission that has powers of arrest and prosecution, that kind of thing, to to put these people behind bars if that's where they belong. 
you know, because we need to put set an example to say even Biden himself is not allowed to do anything that this guy did. We don't want to see another president anywhere close to the way this one behaved because it's a stain on the society. It's it's it's, it's criminal. We don't want to see that anymore. So, I, I sp- yeah, and it, I think that makes sense, but the difficulty with this is that there is no independent uh, council law anymore. It, uh, you know, independent it has to be done uh, either internally with the Justice Department or by vote of Congress. And you do have a, a you know, relatively even split in Congress, and it's only... Uh, I think it's seven seats now, uh, advantage that these Democrats have in the House. It might go up more as more votes are counted. Uh, and, uh, you know, two or maybe one seat differential between the Democrats and Republicans in the Senate. So, uh, you know, it seems unlikely that there would be, you know, the kinds of, see, given what we see right now with the Republicans and their, uh, uh, stance towards Trump, um, we're not likely to see an independent council uh, put into place uh, through Congress. It would have to be some kind of an uh, internal Justice Department thing. And uh, who knows if that would happen, but um, that's, that's how it would have to happen. It would have to happen through the sort of normal course of investigation. One thing you haven't uh, mentioned, Garnett, it's, uh, that's interesting to me is um, one of the things that President Trump has done is, is to uh, gut uh, the various inspectors general in various um, administrative agencies in the U.S. government. Indeed. So uh, in, in, uh, inspector general are these kinds of independent or ombudsmen who, uh, who can investigate things uh, that they think need to be investigated. They don't have to answer to the... Um, department, they answer, largely they answer to Congress. Um, they are people who have to report uh, to Congress. And if you remember, it was um, through the independent uh, inspector general that uh, a complaint was made um, in the national, in national security uh, infrastructure that eventually got Trump impeached. Indeed. Um, so, so, and ever since, Trump has removed those various inspectors general. So one of the interesting things that I expect Biden to do will be to restore people into those, um, into those positions uh, to, um, uh, to build up the um, um, ethics of, of uh, the Independent Ethics Commission. Uh, that had been sort of left to wither on the vine under the Trump administration. So he, he has a lot of work in just building up the small things uh, that allow our government to operate according to norms and ethics uh, and that have been allowed to wither away under, under the Trump administration. Yes, and the in- inspectors general were sidelined or fired because he wants to continue with, with his corruption. So, you know, so those are some of the things. Yes, you're right. I should have mentioned them earlier. Um, the, the thing, though, is that it's a good thing that he is uh, going to be gone. And uh, we should come back to the situation I mentioned earlier 
about the 72 million people that voted for this guy in the White House. Why do you think so many people came out and voted for him? As a political scientist, what are your thoughts? Right, well, I mean, one thing that's uh, striking to me is just uh, how much the polls had underestimated Trump's vote in these, and, ha and, and uh, you know, the polls really showed that Biden was going to cruise to a relatively easy electoral win, and he did win um, <laughs> by a significant margin. Uh, but in a lot of these states were much closer than, than were expected. And states like Florida that had a slight Biden advantage ended up, you know, easily going to Trump. Um, same with North Carolina. Um, Maine is another example. That was a, a presidential race, but the, uh, but the Senate race there was seen that, you know, that the Democratic, uh, challenger, uh, uh, down the list so uh, why so I guess the bigger question you're asking is maybe wh why do people vote for Trump uh, I mean I think I think it's largely partisanship um, Trump was highly effective at rallying his base and convincing a lot of people uh, that uh, you know this claim that Biden is a socialist which is which is very strange um, Bizarre. Biden is has no you know record of um, supporting socialist policies um, and, and disavowed uh, socialist approaches to healthcare and the environment and so on and so forth. So uh, and yet it, it was effective, and I think it's effective precisely because of uh, the polarized nature of our system right now. Um, even people that didn't like Trump. Um, had a slight preference for Trump and ended up voting for him. So um, that, that there was so much anger whipped up between the two parties. It was really just, a, it was always, you know, going to be a close election. Uh, there's, there's some other puzzles about, you know, uh, subgroups that vote, ended up voting more favorably to Trump than, than were expected. So um, African-Americans... Um, certainly supported Biden, but not by as much in some states as the polls would have suggested. Um, Latino voters also in uh, states like uh, Florida, Texas, um, not in Arizona, and Latinos voted uh, for Biden just about what the polls uh, predicted they would. But in those two states, Texas and Florida, um, it, you know, Biden uh, did not do as well as expected. Trump did better than he did four years ago uh, with African Americans and Latinos, and and uh, that's that's very surprising. Yes. So it would seem that the voters who voted for this guy in the White House were ashamed to tell the pollsters their true opinion of him. They were they quietly voted for him when they said they wouldn't. It it would seem. Well, that's possible on that. Um, there's really two possible reasons why the Trump vote was underestimated. And one, one is the, you know, the shy Trump voter theory that uh, Trump voters don't want to tell pollsters that they are voting for Trump um, because they're somehow ashamed of it. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the other possibility 
is that it's not that, that there's something wrong with the polls and the way the polls work. Could it be a poll? Uh, and so I'll tell you why I don't think, I don't believe in the shy Trump uh, voter theory. Um, if, 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 if the reason Trump's vote was underestimated is because of a shy Trump voters, um, people who are not answering truthfully on the polls, um, if that were the case, then we would see, we would see um, uh, more accurate predictions on the polls for Senate races, for, for, for races where Trump is not running. And yet what we're seeing is that the polls underestimated not only Trump's support, but also Republican senators' support. Mm-hmm. So there's something else going on with the polls. The polls are systematically missing um, Republicans in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and for some reason, Republicans are not as likely to answer surveys as Democrats um, right now. That mm-hmm. didn't used to always be the case, but I think polls are going to have to deal with this problem uh, in, in, in a major way uh, in, in trying to adjust for this problem that, that Republicans are less likely to answer polls at all. Okay. Than Democrats. Yeah, let's switch gears a little. Uh, the, on the day when this show is broadcast, Sunday, November 22, it would be 57 years since the 35th president, John Fitzgerald Kennedy, was assassinated. It was uh, November 22, 1963. He served two years and 10 months as president. And I guess with all that, what's going on now, the day will pass without much fanfare. Uh, What are your reflections on the 35th president, John F. Kennedy? Yes, for uh, people like you and I, Garnett, who weren't even born then, it's something that we only know from secondhand uh, about what it was like to live in that time from people who are older than us and from, uh, you know, the film of it. I mean, uh, we still have the Zapruder film that shows Kennedy being killed. Uh, that's, that's a shocking thing um, to, to see, to, to, to um, you, and it's, tra- it's traumatizing. And uh, one of the things that's uh, very, very important is that the generation that were young people uh, when JFK was assassinated uh, still still say that this was one of the turning points of their lives, that it was one of the most memorable things and the most, most tragic things that they can uh, remember uh, Collect, as, as, a, as a piece of collective memory uh, that, that uh, they, they have ever experienced. And so I think that there's, there really is uh, an important sense that the, the Kennedy assassination is, is a moment of collective remembering and the way it's remembered. Um, whether it's uh, marked or commemorated in a in a ceremony, or whether it's just something that we recall on a talk show, like we're doing just right now, it it is really a pivotal point in history. It's the point 
really where the 1950s ends and the turbulent 1960s begin. It's the beginning of uh, the shift in escalation in Vietnam. Um, it's the, it's really a shift and change in the character of the student movement of the 1960s and early 1970s. Indeed. And, and it's a it's a shift in popular culture too, because uh, when you think about uh, the changes in uh, popular music, uh, literature, and television that occurred after that fateful day in 1963. Indeed. Um, it, it's really a pivotal time, and I think we're still living with the ripple effect uh, from that, that terrible day. Indeed, and then to see his alleged killer, Lee Harvey Oswald, was brutally killed on TV, live on TV, two days later. That That's remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, Professor, any parting shots before we say so long? No, I'm, I would just add to that um, litany of, of, of important things with the uh, that, that really began with the Kennedy assassination. You know, the assassination of Malcolm X Indeed. and Martin Luther King Indeed. and Robert Kennedy. Yes, uh, five and, years later. Uh, that was the beginning of an unbelievably violent political time Indeed. Uh, that um, uh, we, have, we have certainly had political violence uh, surrounding uh, the, the Trump years um, and the and the aftermath of, of this election and I expect that there may be more violence in store ahead of us but uh, even then it's, it really pales in comparison to uh, the turmoil that, that occurred after the Kennedy assassination. Okay, okay, Professor. Thank you so much. Uh, no, I think that, uh, that this has been a fantastic conversation, Garnett, as always. And uh, thank you for uh, doing what you do on your show. Thank you. You have been listening to What's Your Point here on WPKN Radio. My guest was Professor Scott McLean, Chair of the Philosophy and Political Science Department at Quinnipiac University here in Connecticut. I am Garnet Ankle.